Hey folks, I'm having a cup of tea. Yeah, calm guy over here. Just having a hot cup of tea. <sighs> yeah. Just having a relaxing hot cup of murky water. The color of the water is brown. It looks like shit. But the label is promising me, folks. It's not shit water, oh no. The label says elderberry lemon balm. Immune plus stress with ashwagandha for abdachenic support. What the fuck does this mean? Just write tea. I'll say that again. It says yogi elderberry lemon balm immune plus stress with ashwagandha for adaptogenic support. No one knows 70% of those words. Just write tea. That's all. These labels are getting a little complicated. A little much. But this is a caffeine-free tea. So I'm going to reduce my coffee intake a little bit. But really, those aren't cups, right? On your coffee maker, when you fill it up with water, those aren't really cups, right? I mean, whatever those measurements are on the side, you know those lines? Two, four, six, eight, ten... We're not talking about real cups of coffee. Like if someone asked me how many cups of coffee I have per day and I was to use that measurement, I'd have to say six. I have six cups of coffee per day to which a doctor would say, oh, God, don't don't do that. But those are coffee maker measurement cups. We should measure coffee in thermoses. How many thermoses? Why would we even say cups to people? How many thermoses of coffee per day? And I'll say one, one giant fucking coffee thermos and you'll say i get it but if i say six cups like on the side of that coffee maker those aren't cups those aren't but still my wife and i ran out yesterday we ran out of coffee and we panicked we panicked we started sweating and crying and screaming at the kids don't look at me pounding headaches we didn't know what to do with our lives it's true i went a whole day without coffee by accident. And then I had a dull, throbbing headache for about 20 hours after that experience. But folks, I will survive. Oh, I will survive, says Gloria Gaynor. Gloria, we're ready for you. Glow Glow. Do you think Gloria Gaynor ever performed a concert where she's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, you assholes. On the county fair circuit. I'm looking her up on Spotify right now. We're going off the rails immediately. Gloria Gaynor. If you could name another Gloria Gaynor song, I'll give you 20 bucks. And I don't even know who you are, but I assume if you're listening, either number one, you didn't even know Gloria Gaynor's name. You just know I Will Survive, the old disco hit. But I'm also asking you to name another Gloria Gaynor song. Going to my Spotify, because that's what we do in life. We just pull out our phones to solve everything. All right, Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive, has over 290 million hits. And then I Will Survive extended version, I Will Survive shorter version, I Will Survive 1981 re-recording, and then finally Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, which is yet another cover. Folks, where's the originality? And there it is. Finally, a song called False Alarm by Gloria Gaynor. Where she's telling people, just stick around for false alarm. Hey, bitch, I'm in the middle. I thought you ran away with 
Oh, God. All right, Gloria. Hey, diddle diddle. You can't, hold on. You can't do hey, diddle diddle as a lyric, right? All right, that'll do it for our Gloria Gaynor tribute tonight. But I will survive. Oh, I will survive. We haven't done shit yet. God, too much meandering. Do you need a little more direction right now? Should we get on to something? Pick a topic, any topic. Folks in the suburbs, what do we talk about? Folks in the suburbs, what do you talk about? Well, we walk by our neighbors and we talk about the weather. It's been hot lately. It certainly has. All right, Nancy, have a good one. Boom, in, out. You start to perfect it. You start to get into a rhythm. You know just enough about every neighbor. Hey, Charlie's getting bigger. Yeah, I didn't know Golden Retriever's got that big. Okay, terrific. Ooh, looks like you're redoing your pavement. (laughs) Hey, that's a bitch, but you got to do it. You got to do it. All right, Tommy. Moving on, moving on. Sad tone. Yeah, we heard your geraniums aren't growing. We're sorry to see that, but here's the number of our gardener. We're always exchanging. Do you know a plumber? We have a leak. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your leak. And then for the next three years, that's the only common ground you have. Hey, how's the leak? Well, yeah, three years ago we got it fixed, but thanks. Yeah, of course. You know, leaks are tough. Yeah, we should pick another topic. You know, one of your neighbors has a kid who likes soccer. Hey, Tyler's still playing? (laughs) He must love it. Yeah, it's been hot lately. I'll see you. Ten years later. Hey, I imagine Tyler's still enjoying the game of soccer. Yeah, we're supposed to get some rain soon. Okay, bye-bye. You better keep moving. In the suburbs, when you see your neighbor, you go on the surface small talk. However, I can tell you the biggest bombshell. If there's a for sale sign, now you got some real fodder. Now you got some real content. You know the house on the corner? And everyone loves to talk about the prices. The Zillow Redfin world we're living in. Yeah, I heard that shit's going for uh, 1.4. 1.4? Huh. I heard last week it was going for 1.6. These are the conversations in the suburbs. These meaningless, dumb fucking conversations. 1.6? Interesting. That place is quite a dump. It is, yeah, but they'll put lipstick on a pig. All right, Tino. Oh, yeah, just had another sip of my calm elderberry balm. Murky shit water. Every neighbor wants to jump in on that conversation. You see a for sale sign go up on a decrepit old house, and it gets fixed up in like 17 hours. You're like, whoa, did you see that house on the corner? That one with all the cobwebs and we were certain that there were dead bodies inside and now they just repainted it. They cut the grass. They put in a few plants and now 1.5, 1.6. What's it going for? What's it going for? What's it going for? And they could stage it. They can make it look real nice. These are true magicians. The people that could stage these homes and take the right photos from the right angles with the right filters and put up about 17 to 18 photos to get enough people to come to the open house. And then it's a bidding war. Then it's a bidding war. You got to get in now. Oh, you got to get in now. The real estate agent says, you know what? Here are the disclosures. You could take care of this in the future, but you got to get in now. I mean, you got to get in now. But what are you getting into? What are you really getting into? The American dream, right? Home ownership. You're going to own a plot of land. These Eichlers, these Eichlers can be real pieces of shit, but they have a reputation of like modern, mid-century modern. These are your own art projects. You get a project for life. And it's now really vogue. It's really trendy. 
I grew up in an Eichler. I never thought that it would be like this special renaissance of people looking for Eichler homes, which are usually about 1,500 square feet, very thin walls, wood paneling, not the biggest yards. I know they have ceiling to floor windows, and maybe you could see the hills, and I hope you have nice neighbors, but if you're in these Eichlers, what's happening right now is that they could be fixed up and sold for, what's it going for, 1.4, 1.5, 1.6? Holy shit, I heard the McAllisters has sold their place for 1.8. 1.8, and that's our conversation. Hey, it's supposed to be hot next week. Is Tyler still playing soccer? And my thoughts and prayers go out to your family. I heard your grandma Dolores passed, and you take a moment to send your condolences if you hear that someone's grandma Dolores passed, and you move on with your day. Even that might be a little too deep for suburban small talk. But you want to know what it really is when you get into one of these homes and you feel like, wow, you hit the jackpot, which is true, and you want to feel grateful. But you're signing up for a lifetime of feeling kind of unsatisfied with the whole house. Meaning you could still enjoy it, but there's always something in the back of your mind. You're like, that window has a crack? I guess we'll get to that in a couple of years. Our concrete is totally uneven. That tree, I've always hated that tree. It's obstructive. The tile in this bathroom is the ugliest shit I've ever seen. And you overlook things because there's going to be bigger issues to take care of. And you say things like, yeah, maybe in five years we'll get rid of that old carpet. Or maybe big renovations. Maybe we turn that room into an office and we turn the bathroom into a steam room sauna. And then you start talking about grand projects. And what does it do? It causes you to feel like you'll never get to those staged photos on Zillow and Redfin. You're like, that's how it was sold. I know that's how it was sold, but now that we're in it, and I'm not just projecting our own situation, but there's always going to be some things. And the price tag is always going to be something you don't even know about. Like if I tried to flip on a switch, turn a light on, and the light didn't go on. It turns out, oh, we're having electrical issues and I need an electrician. I need an electrician to come out. And they're like, yeah, the wiring's faulty. We got a backup burner problem with your backup vagina problem, your backup balloon problem. That's going to be 16000 And at that point, what do I do? I just listen to the electrician and I, and I nod. I go, oh, yeah, 16000 That sounds about right. If we have a leak and you can't detect the leak and you just see your water meter is turning and turning and turning, and a few months later, you find out, oh, you mean there's just a pipe under the home that's cracked, and now there's a carpet that's soaked, and the plumber comes over and goes, yeah, what we're going to do is have to lift your house up, uh, toss away the foundation, put in a crawl space, maybe uh, terracotta pipes, maybe stainless steel. It's going to be 55000 Here's your estimate. You go, okay, of course, it's 55000 Here's my estimate. Homes just mean you call others and you stimulate the economy. You call plumbers and electricians. You call gardeners. You call landscapers. You call maintenance people, handymen. Hey, could you come out? We have a little issue. Yeah, I ran through a plate glass door. Uh-huh, I ran through another door. Yeah. It happens. It happens. Sewer lateral. It happens. It happens. When you get the keys to the home, it's such a celebration for this family that's going to move in at the end of our street. And they paid $1.4 million for a 1,400 square foot piece of shit that's been painted and made to look really good. The amount of issues they're just going to have for the rest of their lives. 
is something they're not thinking about, nor should they. They should celebrate it. If you can own anything, celebrate it. And then you just get on the phone and you Google Yelp reviews for people that could help fix things. And you can't DIY this shit. You could try to DIY a few things, but you do it yourself and you watch a YouTube video and then an hour later you go, let's just call a pro. Let's just call someone to do it. Swipe the card, swipe the credit card. Get in that red hole of debt and sit there and sit there with your elderberry lemon balm. What's the word? Let me get this label. Ashwagandha for aptogenic support tea. Aptogenic. Is that a word? I don't know. But it's being supported right now with every sip. Every little sip I take is magic. Look at landscaping. I mean, really, it's just our own little art projects. Acting like they matter. My wife and I had a 15-minute conversation about a little lemon tree. And it mattered. It mattered to us. Isn't it weird that humans could have such insignificant conversations, but in the moment it feels like it matters? Then I look back and go, what were we talking about a lemon tree for so long? And my wife's like, it does yield good fruit year-round, but I'm not sure I like the positioning and the shade. And maybe it's in the way. And I'm like, well, maybe it's in the way, but in a way that we can get used to and appreciate. And it's part of the fabric of our lives. And we have this conversation. And I'm thinking, the amount of shit that matters more than this is wild. But every family's having a conversation about something in their yard. Every family's having a conversation. If we put a patio there, maybe a pergola there, maybe we get some furniture there and raise beds over there. Our own little art projects, our own little 8 by 10 art projects. Just endless tasks and chores and projects and projects and projects. And you sign up for it, and I guess you have to find peace with it and just say, oh yeah, it's going to be disarray. It's going to be constant disarray. The house is never going to be fully staged again. There's just going to be endless dishes and stains and piles of laundry and dishes and stains and piles of laundry and dishes and stains and things are going to break. And then things are going to just look old on your eye. Just the way you look at things, you go, now I'm done looking at that. That's considered old and antiquated and we got to be modern now. Then 15, 20, 25 years will go by and go, now that shit looks old because society is telling us it's old and consumerism is sending us new photos of what's cool and what's shiny and what's glistening and we got to go there and we got to go there. So you sign up for a lifetime of something that you don't actually grasp. Let that be a microcosm for life, the journey of life. Because if you did have everything, let's just say you got it all. You look at your yard. Perfect. Not a blade of grass out of place. Not a fallen leaf. Perfect. You look inside, every room looks perfect. Well decorated. You like the art. You don't have an electrical issue. You don't have a plumbing issue. You don't have ugly tile anywhere. Let's say you attain that moment. Do you honestly think you'd be at peace? You'd sit back and feel satisfied? The answer is, of course not. But we plant the seed of possibility. In our minds, with everything we do, we plant the seed of possibility in our minds with everything we do in our relationships, in our jobs, in our little art project landscaping. To reverse that kind of thinking might be impossible. To just say, I'm going to be comfortable with things being a little unsettled, with there being some eyesores and some broken shit and some stains and some things that need to be improved. But altogether, we have our health and we have a roof over our heads and we have some nice neighbors who we could talk about 1.4 with. I heard it's going for one, but we always heard something else. I heard 1.7. Shut up, Dave. 1.7. There always is one neighbor who has to go higher like it's a game show. I heard two points. Shut the 
fuck up, Dave. I heard it's gone for three million dollars. Dave, get the fuck in your house. We're dealing in reality here today, Dave. I heard that McAllister home burned down. They rebuilt it yesterday. Now it's going for ten billion. Dave, shut the fuck up for one second. Dave, every neighborhood has the one guy who heard that it's going for more than it is, and he chimes in too quickly. And Dave, just talk soccer in the weather, okay? Okay. And we're hoping to put an island in there in 10 years, and we'd love to repaint the interior. I'd like to see if that's a freestanding foundation, if that pillar could be removed, and then we'll add on a second. So we'd just keep talking like this, what we would do. No one, no one looks at their home and says, we're done. Yep, we're done. You're never done. You're never done. But Zillow is showing you something that looks like you enter the final phase. Redfin Zillow. When Saturday Night Live did that skit like it's porn for adults, just scrolling through the open house photos. Ooh, look. Oh my God, look at the veranda. Right under the divan? Oh, the crown molding. It's going to be an incredible hallway to walk through. That shit will get dull on your eyes real quick, pal. Okay, Dave, get in your house. Jesus, I heard it's going for 3.8. Quadrillion. That's not a number, Dave. Quadrillion. All right, let me finally try to stumble into something that matters for a moment. I was watching Zelensky, Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, interviewed, and he's probably the most impressive person on the planet right now. Let's be honest. He means business. He's not suit and tie and podium. He's the real deal. He's gritty. He stands with his people. He stands with his soldiers. He stands with his fellow countrymen. He doesn't toe the company line when he speaks to the UN. He makes it very clear. I like a politician like this. Almost not even a politician, just a leader. This is like a really respectable leader to say, we will be liberated. We're going to put up a fight, but also calling out Putin for war crimes. And I've read an article probably every single day about war crimes. And I'm not totally sure I understand war crimes. War itself sounds like a crime. Some dictator wants to take over new land, new territory, spread an ideology, just wreak havoc on people, bombs, missiles, rockets, bullets. And I understand war is supposed to be military versus military, destroying their military and their supplies and their resources. But the amount of crimes in every war, in the history of war, that are just byproducts of the war it's interesting that it falls into its own category, these war atrocities that Zelensky is saying justice needs to be served. And then I read a New York Times article that justice is almost never served. War crimes are almost never prosecuted. It's nearly impossible. One of the best examples ever are the Nuremberg trials right after World War II. And by the way, it wasn't just Hitler that kills himself. A lot of the Nazi leaders killed themselves after Germany surrenders and they could see that the Third Reich is going to crumble and Nazism is going to die and the Allied powers are about to win this war. So there's a lot of Nazis that are going to kill themselves. But there's a lot of Nazis that are hoping to just walk scot-free. Just, we're going to walk into society and say, okay, 
I guess we'll adopt a new Germany until the Nuremberg trials. So this is where 19 of these Nazis were convicted of war crimes. They were murderers. All right, yes, during World War II, but these are just murderers. These are not like soldiers who are killing in the name of war. So of the convicted Nazis, 12 were sentenced to death. Three defendants sentenced to life imprisonment, four to prison terms ranging from about 10 to 20 years. I just talked about this with my students today. And then there's some subsequent trials as well, going from 1946 all the way to 49 to 50. 12 additional trials trying Nazis for war crimes. And that produces another 177 defendants, 24 more sentenced to death. And even saying all that, no one really goes, and justice was served. It's tough to look at the Holocaust. It's tough to look at the destruction created by the Nazis and then look at the Nuremberg trials and then go, well, at least, you know, some were sentenced to death and I guess justice was served? Kind of. It's better than nothing. Let me just say that. It's better than nothing. And there were some heroic attorneys. There were some amazing investigators. But the most legendary of them all is still alive. How absolutely batshit crazy is that? His name is Benjamin Ferenc. The guy is 102 years old. Benjamin Ferenc. A U.S. prosecutor who goes to Germany at age 27 and starts to reveal all of the classified findings, everything that was documented as the Nazis were proud of their work. It's obtained, and there he is, over 70 years ago, just serving them. Serving them. This guy, Benjamin Ferenc, was just honored. He's still alive in Florida. He was just honored with the Governor's Medal. Medal of, I should have read closer. But he also was a fighter. He also stormed the beaches of Normandy in the D-Day invasion. He also fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Then he came back, married his high school sweetheart. Then he would just was able to send a message that by sentencing some of these Nazis to death, war crimes will not be permitted. And it sounds like an easy message, but he was interviewed last week. He was interviewed last week, 102 years old, as he's watching the war in Ukraine unfold. And he goes, I guess we didn't learn much. I guess all that work we did trying to defend democracy against dictators. I guess humans don't learn. And he wasn't being cynical. He was actually being very objective. If you saw all the work we did at the Nuremberg trials and liberating these camps and fighting off fascism and Nazism, and now we still have dictators committing war atrocities, just killing innocent kids, women, old people, non-military targets, just blowing up schools and hospitals. If you're seeing this, if homo sapiens, humans, are still engaging in this type of activity, why would anyone think we're better than this? That's basically what the guy was saying. He's like, I've done all I can. I'm 102 years old. Was hoping to see a little more progress. And he's watching the war in Ukraine each and every day thinking, how could this be happening? How could war crimes be happening still without the massive outrage? And maybe I'm misjudging the situation, but these are just passing articles. Oh, Zelensky calls for justice. Oh, Zelensky points the finger at Putin for war crimes every day. It's the same thing. 
And the UN just stands by and this guy fiercely says, we need you. We need more weapons. We need some help. Don't just stand by anymore. He's calling him out. He's not sitting back. Guy's amazing. Ferenc is amazing. Zelensky's amazing. These people that do their part to stand up for justice, to try to uphold the ideals of democracy. It's so impressive, but hey, it's the yin-yang of the world. There's always going to be dictators and villains and terror. There's always going to be these atrocities. And the one thing Ferenc said in the article I read was, you know, humankind is going to cease to exist. If we continue this, if these war trends continue, and we just go, yeah, World War III's on the precipice, it's coming. Then World War Four, soon we're just going to wipe ourselves out and we're so fucking dumb. We created all these weapons and have all these conflicts and we don't learn lessons, perhaps because education just is not at a level it should be or not enough people are understanding the brutal horrors of history in order to not repeat it. All the many classic things you hear about why we must learn, why we must learn, why we must know names like Benjamin Ferenc. Nuremberg Trials Prosecutor, why we must know that name and his message and what he stood for in the statement they were trying to make. And now you look at these Russian soldiers and you just go, yeah, none of them are probably going to see jail time. It's just nearly impossible to prosecute all of these government leaders making all of these ugly decisions and all these soldiers committing all these atrocities. There's just too many mitigating circumstances that often go unproven or just deny, deny, deny. If it even got to a courtroom, deny, 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 or you were doing it too. You were doing it too. It's all difficult to process, isn't it? That it's happening right now on the planet we're all inhabiting. Like I'm just sitting here in my bedroom talking about it, but on the same planet, humans are fleeing. Humans are suffering. And it's all senseless. I have nothing smart to say about it. I have nothing that insightful to say. I don't know how it's going to end. It could just be getting worse and worse and worse and worse, right? could just be getting worse and worse and worse and worse and more atrocities every day and this is me on tea not even coffee i can't calm this mind folks i ran out of cbd oil too so maybe i can calm my mind a little more i think the only way to transition out of that is to bring up a bunch of dumb shit you ever cook steamed broccoli and someone in the house just thinks you're farting you ever cutting onions and someone just figures you have bo You ever doing anything in the culinary world and someone's certain that it's a bodily function instead of you attempting to cook a nice meal? Got broccoli going, chopping some onions. Someone walks in, they're just like, oh, fuck. What are you doing? Are you farting and barfing? Are you pissing and full of body odor? You're like, what? No, stir fry. You ever go to pick up your kids at daycare and too many of the other toddlers swarm you like at the gate or the fence? And it gets scary. Like it's cute at first and then too many of them start saying too many things. I have Doritos. Oh, cute. Ainsley, you had Doritos? My dad does sit-ups in the garage. Oh, okay, Skylar. Good to see you. And then they keep getting closer and closer with their sniffly snot noses. Just running, reaching their hands through the gate. Getting too close. You're getting too close. Who are you? I'm Mila's dad. I'm Batman. This is my Batman. Okay, okay. Look, I just got off work. I know, you're Batman. Every day you're a new superhero. Why don't you get some fresh air? Come on. A long daycare pickup? I mean, I'm in good spirits. 
I love them all. I love everything going on. But sometimes you just want to get in, get out. You get swarmed by the mob of toddlers. It gets a little scary. Village of the Damned. They're all just coming at you. For Halloween, I'm gonna be a lizard. Okay. Who gives a shit? It's April. We'll talk Halloween in the fall. Okay, Paul? I have jelly beans to... Okay, we know. You have jelly beans every day. Your parents are giving you too much sugar. All right, Margaret. Take a step back. I need to just pick up my daughter out of the sea of toddlers where I know y'all infected her. Now she's bringing home a cold. Actually, we can't be those parents who act like everyone else is giving us the cold. You know we all play the same game. You know your kid, my kid, has probably given the colds to everyone And we all just get sick. I honestly think my wife and I, once a week, feel like we're getting sick. That's a pretty high percentage of days per year where you're like, oh, caught something. And then a couple days go by and you're like, I guess it was in my head? Or did I take enough Dayquil, oil of oregano, elderberry tea? I guess I did my part to battle through another. Like, we're certain that we're sick at least once a week. Because these kids just come home and you get so pissed. Like the other parents are sending their kids with their snot sniffle nose and their colds and their flus. And it's probably COVID. And now we got to stay away from grandma. And holy shit, are we doing it? Are we contributing? Are they doing anything? Are they even wearing masks? Should they wear masks? Of course not. They're kids. Don't make kids wear masks. And it becomes political. And then you just go, Ainsley, we understand you're in a Wonder Woman costume. But excuse me, I've got to get my kid. Y'all think we value human life more than ever right now? It's a weird thing to bring up because I know you can make a case that if everybody is slowly becoming desensitized to this war in Ukraine, just because eh, it was on the front page, now it's on the second page and, you know, it's on the front page again, now it's on the third page and we have too many things stimulating us and we have too many interests and there's just too much coming at us every day. So how much attention can we put towards the people suffering? That's a sad topic. So at that point you go, man, maybe people don't value other humans and human life the way they should. But in terms of the people we're connected to, I think we value human life more than ever. Let me explain real quick. Humans used to die younger. We know that. There used to be less medicine, less vaccines, less inoculations, less supplements, less emphasis on health. There used to be just more kids dying at childbirth. Or moms used to die at childbirth. Now, if you're in America and you go to give birth. Chances are you're both coming home, you and your kid. But a few hundred years ago, it wasn't just such a guarantee. And I'm not minimizing the sadness of 300 years ago if you were giving birth and the baby died. But if it was more abundant, these tragedies, you think more people become desensitized to death back then? Whereas now, the way we value our children and we coddle our children when we're helicopter parents and we look out for them, at every little phase of life, even the way we tuck them in and give them a back rub at night and we read them books. Kids didn't used to be coddled like this. Kids used to just be farmhands. We're going to have 14 kids. They're all going to work on the farm. We don't give a shit what their grades are in school. We're not pressuring them to go to college. We're just hoping that they can milk the cow, harvest the radishes, and get old pappy of cigarettes. Really, kids were just hired help. And now look what we're doing. Look at your kid's closet. How many pairs of shoes they have. Look at their drawers. Look at all the clothes they have. Look what they watch on YouTube and Netflix. 
kindness. We teach them kindness and love. And it's wonderful. And I think we do value human life more than ever. We're trying to preserve it. But 400, 500 years ago, I don't even think that was a topic. Like, let's preserve human life. It was just like, yeah, you caught something. Adios. I'm making the case. I'm making this baseless opinion right now that people probably grieve harder nowadays and mourn harder nowadays. 500 years ago, if your best friend died because he stubbed his toe and it got infected and there's no doctor who has any medicine for that, you just go, well, it was good to know Earl, but Earl was running too fast around the rocks by the quarry because that's an activity back then, running around the rocks by the quarry, and he should have been going slower. And he should have known better because you stub a toe back then, gets infected, goodbye. Nowadays, we could have any sort of illness or there's many diseases that we're not supposed to fear because, hey, there's a cure for that. There's a cure for that. There's a cure for that. Well, you know, doctors can do something for that. Replace that hip. Fix those eyes with LASIK. Get open heart surgery. Go ahead. Fix a stint. Put in a valve. Look at all this shit. We keep preserving human life. Because we value human life. Keep grandpa alive. Keep taking your supplements. Go to your neurologist, Josh. Fix your issue. Go to a therapist. They weren't saying go to a therapist for your depression, your debilitating depression 400 years ago. You would just slowly wither away into the night. (laughs) Goodbye. And that was the height of depression. Withering away saying goodbye. I don't know what that means. That's not a well thought out point. But are you with me on this one? The way we value our kids' lives. The way I feel about my daughters. Did a dad feel the same way about his daughters? Because you know he probably had 14 kids to help on the farm. You feel the same way about them? I don't know. I'm making the point that the answer is no. That we love our kids more right now than we've ever loved our kids. And perhaps we care less about strangers than we've ever cared about strangers because we don't have attention spans. We're in this cutthroat survival of the fittest. You tread water, you stay above water. You take care of the people you can take care of. You show love to the people within your sphere, but if it's outside of your sphere, does it even resonate? You hope it does. You hope it does. But clearly, we don't volunteer as much as we can in this country. We don't give to charity as much as we can in this country. And I don't even know if that's an indictment on selfish people or if it's just the structure that we're born into, this capitalistic cutthroat world called the USA. If you can get that little 1,500 square foot house, then that's the American dream. Then that's it. And it's a hustle. It's a competitive hustle to even get your family into that. You might have even had help from previous generations to get you into that 1,500 square foot flimsy shithole Eichler where you're just going to immediately need to call a plumber, call an electrician. But once you're in there, you can (sighs) exhale and say, at least we have walls and a roof to protect everything that we want to preserve and everything that we value so much right in front of our eyes. And if it's beyond this sphere, then eh, who knows how many people care? It's a sad, that's a, you know what? That's a sad viewpoint of a very divided and separated country and world. And with that, I'll end with this. Airbnb always claims to sleep more than you can actually sleep. Airbnb will put a in-law unit up for like 300 a night in Monterey and say, sleep's nine. Someone sleeps on the counter. 
Someone sleeps in the drawers like Kramer and the Japanese businessmen and Seinfeld. Someone can sleep in the fireplace and on the fireplace and someone can sleep outside. It sleeps 38. This one bedroom, zero bath, Airbnb, majestic tropical resort, sleeps 35. And you're like, no, it what? No, it doesn't. Seven families can nicely fit in the drawers, in the cabinet, in the shed, on top of the shed. Is there a bed? There's not a bed. Airbnb, you're not fooling me. And just like that uh, episode, oh boy, this is not a smooth exit. Just like that episode, 181 is in the books. Good folks, I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 